want to finish up a little series that we've been in, maybe three weeks worth, the parable of the great banquet, parable of the great banquet. God has prepared a great banquet of salvation that whosoever will can come and receive and feast and enjoy the goodness and the mercy of God. Amen? And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. And we have looked at um, lessons and opportunity, we called it. We broke it down into three parts, the preparation, the invitation, and tonight when we get there, we're going to look at the condemnation or the second invitation. But if you would, Luke's Gospel... Chapter 14, let's start with verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys, the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Amen. The parable of the great banquet. Again, we broke it down into the preparation, the invitation, and the condemnation. Under the preparation, we notice that Jesus compares salvation to a feast, not a funeral, not a fast. Amen? Salvation's great. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. It's a great salvation. The Bible talks about the riches of His grace, the mercy, the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness of God, etc. So He compares it to a feast, and the preparation says, you know what? It's all ready. Jesus paid it all. God has done it. Salvation is ready to be received by whosoever will. Man doesn't have to do anything but receive the goodness and the mercy of God. Amen? And he said, the, the master prepared a great banquet. Salvation has been there and it's, it's, it's prepared and it's ready to be received. And then last week we said the invitation which has come. The preparation is all things are ready. Um, invitations come. Now God says, now just come and receive it. God prepared salvation for a lost world. And he sends you and I out to invite others to come and receive from it. Come and partake. Amen? Yeah, Jesus paid it all. All you got to do is receive and respond it. And we talked about that last time. That's where we, we kind of um, spent our time last week. God prepared salvation for a lost world. He sends us out to invite the people to come in because it's God's desire that His house be full. He's not willing that any should perish. Amen? And so come. We said simply last time, again, quick review. Come, come means um, the simplicity of salvation. You know, anyone can come. A child can come and receive Jesus. A person in a nursing home can come and receive Jesus. You can be behind prison bars but still receive Jesus. You can be rich. You can be poor. Come means anyone. The simplicity of salvation. God has done it all. All you got to do is respond. All you got to do is come and receive Christ. We see the simplicity of salvation, but also the availability of salvation. Come simply means, hey, the door is open and the feast is spread. 
You don't got to wait. You don't got to go to the Vatican. You don't got to climb some mountain. You don't got to... No, 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 no. You don't got to go. All you got to do is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It speaks of the simplicity, the availability, and the responsibility. Because come tells us, it suggests that a person has to act and respond to the call of God and the gracious gift of God. God offers us the gift of salvation, but we've got to receive it. Amen? If I don't receive it, all the good things God has done, all the great sacrifice Jesus has made will be of no avail for my life. So I have to respond and receive it. And now we would think, you know, we studied that a couple of weeks ago, this wonderful feast He gave us. And we talked about, boy, how great this salvation is. It's so vast, it's so wonderful, it's so free. But you would think everybody just run to it, amen? But in our story, we see that's not the case. Not at all. People began to make excuses. And there were lame excuses. There were lame excuses. And that brings us to our last point, the condemnation, but also the second invitation. But the condemnation is simply this. We've got to be reminded there is consequences to rejecting the Word of God. There is consequences when you say no to the mercy of God. There's consequences. So again, we just want to start out. Let's look, if you would, Ezekiel 18, verses 23. Let's start there. But just from last week, God desires His house to be full. Let's start with that because we're going to get into the condemnation part today. So let's just remind ourselves where we come from. It's His will that none perish. He wants all men to be saved. God wants his house full. Amen? He wants you to be saved. He don't care who you are or what your background is. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. The arms of God's grace are open wide to you. You can come. And so let's just get that in our thinking because we're going to get to the other side of the coin, which is when you reject that invitation, there is the condemnation of God because there's two sides to that coin. But here I take a verse from Ezekiel, that Old Testament prophet. Because, you know, a lot of times people just think, you know, in the Old Testament, God's just full of thunder and He's just full of judgment. But actually, God has been full of mercy, love, and grace from the beginning to end throughout the book. I mean, and here the prophet says um, he's dealing with the people of God because they had turned so away from the Lord. They have done some terrible things, worshiping the idols. And God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? God says, I'm bringing judgment because they brought it on themselves by rejecting me again and again and again and by doing things that reap their harvest. But God says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord, no, no, rather, I am not pleased. Am I not pleased? When they turn from their ways and live, God says, I don't take pleasure in judgment. I judge sin because I'm holy. But I don't take pleasure in it. Actually, my will is, I'd rather they turn and live. I rather, the word repent means turn. I rather they stop doing that and come to me so I can forgive them and I can receive them and I can embrace them. And look at that again. Same, same chapter, the very last verse of that chapter, verse 32 again. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. Repent, turn to me and live. Leave the life of sin and come and let my precious blood cleanse you and my Holy Spirit regenerate you. And let me welcome you to the family of God. So, we remember that. But now, we see in our story, the condemnation, because they said no. They said no. They began to make excuses. They began to make excuses. And, and the Master said, hey, I'll tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know, the host became angry, the story tells us. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus said, the host became angry. And uh, we don't think a lot about the anger of God. It's not a popular topic, but you know, we're on, we're in Wednesday nights and Wednesday nights and when we have our Sunday nights, it's nice to go a little deeper in the Bible. 
Because, you know, you, you have things a little bit on Sundays and mornings are for, you know, everyone that comes out and some people aren't saved yet and some are very, you know, they're very young in their walk with God. But the goal of this church is to build believers and make disciples. Ephesians 4 says that's the reason we got pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. is for the equipping of the church, the building up of the body, bringing God's people to purity, maturity, and unity. To make a people that are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but know their Bibles. And that walk strong, sturdy, strong in God. And then, of course, it's making disciples. As Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, that um, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And you know, when Jesus says disciple, He means, man, dedicated followers of me. He means wholehearted followers of me. He said, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Or not just, uh, you know. So again, we're trying to build believers and make disciples. So on Wednesdays and Sunday nights, it's good to go a little deeper so we know the Bible a little better. Amen? We, we live in a very biblically shallow age. It's just the way it is. It's in the philosophy of church, churches now. So we're going to take a little time and look a little deeper. We don't think a lot about the anger of God. I mean, there's so much emphasis on the love of God, and that's good, and it's certainly biblical, the love of God. But God does get angry if we read our Bibles. Insulted. God gets insulted to have His gracious invitation rejected. God gets grieved when His clear commands are are mocked and despised and people throw off His rule and His reign. And there are consequences. You can't get around this. We don't like to talk about it. There are consequences for rejecting in disobeying your Creator. Certainly, there's consequences for disobeying your Redeemer, for those that know the Lord. But even for those that don't, there are consequences for those that reject, despise. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. So, God gets angry. There's a thing that's called the judgment of God. Let's, let's look. It's, there's a judgment now. And there's a judgment then. Let's start out with a the judgment then. There's coming a day. If you would, please. Um, let's go to Acts 24. Acts 24, verses 24 and 25. We'll just make this simple. There's coming a day. Amen. There's coming a day where everyone will stand before God. Isn't that right? There's coming a day. I mean, they, they can say it's not true. Churches can stop preaching it. People can say, I don't like that. But what people like makes no difference in what God is. Amen? What people like will make any difference. Amen? I can't, what I like, what I believe, that can change God. And so here's one, one example. One example of many about the judgment that's coming. There is coming a day. So several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. He sent for Paul. Paul's a prisoner. And they say, well, Paul, we want to hear about you're in jail for Jesus. Tell us about this faith in Christ. He sent for Paul and listened to him as Paul spoke about faith in Christ. Paul, the great apostle, wrote most of the New Testament. Tell us about faith in Christ. Now, this is how the Holy Spirit that Paul's writing on summarizes his discourse. Let's see the next verse. Faith in Christ includes, faith in Christ has to include. Paul discoursed on righteousness. How man needs righteousness. How God has a perfect righteousness. And how the only way we can get righteous is God's way. Amen? By receiving Christ's righteousness. But he dealt about righteousness because you know why? Man apart from Christ is not righteous. I'm not right with God. But God in His great mercy has made a way where I can become right with God if I come to Jesus. If I come to that cross. But he discoursed on righteousness because all men need righteousness. But then he discoursed on, on, on um, self-control. Because once you're righteous, you've got to live righteous. 
And he talked about self-control because, you know, you think, you think things are morally crazy today. Rome was a cesspool. Come on, Rome was just morally violent. He dealt with self-control. We don't like self-control. We legislated. We legislate every perversion there is. But God says, no, the God that is holy, the God that is the real God, the true and living God, He says there's right things to do and wrong things to do. And if you're going to stay away from my judgment, you better control yourself. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? I mean, this is what Paul preached. They asked, now most people, if you ask to preach the gospel, they wouldn't include these things. But it gets better. Righteousness, self-control, and here it is, judgment to come. Part of the full gospel is judgment to come. Part of the full gospel is there's coming a day we'll stand before the Lord. And the only way to stand righteously before Him is to having received Jesus, putting our faith in Christ and His shed blood on that cross. Otherwise, my righteousness is like filthy rags. My good works fall short. So, so we notice that. We notice judgment to come. Okay, judgment to come. You know, the Bible says that it's appointed for a man one time to die and then a judgment. So we know there is a judgment to come. All right? Judgment to come. But there's also a present judgment. There's a judgment in the now. Again, this is Bible study, so let, let's look at this together. Um, John 3. Let's go to John 3. John 3, and let's start with verse 16. Because remember, in our story, Jesus said the Master was so full of grace and love and generosity. He makes a wonderful banquet. He pays for it all. He invites people to come, and they reject His invitation. God so loved us when we were lost and rebellious. Some of us are steeped in sin, but He sent His Son to die for us. And He sends the message of mercy to us. And some people say no. Some people say, Psh, i got better things to do. And that does grieve the heart of God. But it also, in my rejection of God's mercy, it automatically puts me in a place of receiving God's judgment. Amen? All right, you use this flip of the coin. Let's, let's read this together. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but I have eternal life, most precious of the Scriptures, right? One of the most precious of the Scriptures. How God loved the world, the lost world, ugly world. He gave His Son that whosoever will. You don't have to die in sin. You could have done some horrible things, but if you come to Jesus, He'll forgive even that. Amen. Don't have to perish, but have eternal life. But let's keep reading right in here. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now, you know why? Because the world was already condemned. You know why Jesus didn't come to condemn the world? We were already condemned. He didn't have to come and, and, and damn us. Our sins have already damned us. See what he was coming at Christmas time, right? He's a Savior. He came to save us from our sins because we were already captured in sin. Now remember that. Somehow, you know, evolution, we're fine. No, we're not fine. We're lost. Amen? We're, we're, we're not, and we need a Savior. So again, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus came. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The Lord saves. You shall call His name Jesus. He shall save His people from their sins. Look at this next verse. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned. You see, I'm condemned because I'm born into sin. And I've sinned. I'm born into sin because I'm part of a race that's fallen. But then I do my own job at it, too. And, you know, I do my own sins. And so I, both ways, we're guilty. Amen? All right. 
But if I believe in Him, I don't have to be condemned. I can receive forgiveness. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Already. Because my condition is one that's condemned. Because I'm a fallen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if I don't believe, I stand condemned already because I've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So again, I'm lost. And if I reject it, I just stay lost, all right? But now look at the last verse of John 3, the very last verse of John 3. I think it's 36, John 3 and 36. And, and it says it real simply, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son, whoever rejects God's invitation, whoever says no to the great feast of salvation that is offered to you, But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains remains on him. Not coming on him, remains on him. Because there's a measure of judgment that's upon those that are lost. And God's trying to get him out of that. Amen? When Jesus spoke to Paul, he says part of his commission, I'm sending you to take them out of darkness into light. To open their eyes that they might see. Let's look at another verse. Look at Romans 1 and 18. Romans 1 and 18. This is the part of the the condemnation. The host was angry. And the heart of God gets grieved. And if I reject God's mercy, I automatically, I'm I'm on the judgment side of things. But here Paul writes, for the wrath of God is being. Notice is being. We talked about there's coming a day when God will judge, but there is a present judgment that goes on in the earth. We're going to talk about that a little bit. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, don't want the truth, deny the truth by their wickedness. All right, let's talk about this for a little bit. Let's just talk about this for a little bit. The wrath of God. Now, when we talk about the wrath of God, I don't want you to think about the wrath of man. Because the wrath of man is just an emotional uncontrol. That's not the wrath of God. The, the, the wrath of God is not an impulsive outburst of anger. Just kind of aimed at people he's upset at. But it's a settled, determined response of his righteousness against sin. It's a holy response to sin. Now the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed. It is constantly being revealed. It's being made visible. It's being made known. There's the wrath and judgment of God that's going on as we speak. Various ways that God expresses His wrath. Now, we only got a little, one little point here. We could study this for weeks. And there's so much in the Bible to study this. It's, you know, again, it's not, it's not going to fill a church and it's not going to get people doing cartwheels, but uh, it's uncomfortable, but it's a biblical subject. Amen? So stick with me. Let's just study this a little bit more. All right? Now, God reveals His wrath basically in two ways. And again, we're summarizing this for a little 10-minute part of a 35-minute of a teaching here. God reveals His wrath in two ways. Indirectly, through the natural consequences of violating His universal moral law. You violate His moral law, hey, you violate the law of gravity, right? You, I don't believe in the law of gravity. I'm going to jump off the roof. Oh, you can jump off the roof. You're a free moral agent. Jump off the roof, but you can't break that law of gravity. I don't believe it. No matter what you believe, you jump off, you're going down. Amen? God has some moral laws. The soul that sinneth shall die. Amen? And there's some moral laws that God has put out there. Amen? I remember back, it's, it's, it's you know, those, um, 
that, that demon um, Ceseschi, well, that guy from the Romanian dictator. I remember when, in the 80s, when, when AIDS was just exploding, he told his country it, it, it was make-believe. It didn't, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't exist. Can you imagine that? As if by that devil saying it didn't exist, it was going to stop anything. And meanwhile, that country just got ravaged by it. You can say what you want. I don't believe this or I don't accept that. It will not change the consequences of what reality is. And reality is what God has declared it to be. So again, notice, indirectly God reveals His wrath through the natural consequences of violating His universal moral law. But then there's also directly through His personal intervention. We don't like that, but personal intervention. For instance, in the Old Testament, sentence that He passed on Adam and Eve, God directly brought judgment. Um, how about the worldwide flood? Uh, last time I checked, God brought that on man, right? As an act of His judgment. There was the fire and brimstone that leveled Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, once again, an expression of God's holy judgment. We can go on. The Babylonian captivity. Again and again, God says, I'm doing this. I'm going to take you out of the land because you've rejected me. You've rejected my prophets. You've disobeyed my law. That's part of it. Hey, we can go down to, to the early church. They lied in church and God took them out. I mean, the Holy Spirit, you lied to the Holy Spirit. I mean, so again, there, there is also not only the indirect, but there is directly when God personally intervenes and clearly God displays this kind of intervention throughout the Word of God. When God does it. All right. Now, the most graphic way, the most moving way that God revealed His holy wrath and hatred against sin was on the cross of Calvary. That's the most graphic way. That God took His judgment out on His only begotten Son on that cross. When Jesus endured what I deserved and what you deserved, on Calvary was not just the love of God, it was the wrath of God being satisfied. It's a propitiation for our sins. It's an atonement that took place. So again, God's various kinds of wrath now, various kinds of wrath that presently are moving in the earth. Amen? All right, number one, number one, there's, okay, we talk about there's eternal wrath. That's hell. Wrath. Different types of wrath. Because God is grieved when we reject His Word when we disobey His call and we say no to His salvation. God is grieved when we treat His Word as a light thing. As if, you know what, I, I can trump God when it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. God is holy and God is awesome. And yes, He's a God of love, but you know, you can preach something to such an extreme that you no longer have the proper thing. You, you, can, have, you, can, uh, you can dwarf certain things or hyper certain things. All right. So we're talking about the wrath of God here. There is one kind of wrath is eternal wrath. Another kind of wrath is, well, we can call it um, eschatological, es eschatology, end time, end time wrath. That's what we read about in the Bible. And people love, you know, we love studying about that. Though we're not going to be here, Lord willing, I hope you're going up in the rapture. But we love studying about all this. One's left, one's here, and this toe, and that means this, and his six, six numbers, and all that kind of stuff. And we get into that. We ought to get into Sermon on the Mount, I think, a little more. It would do us good in the earth. But anyhow, we like our curiosity. But we're talking about wrath. There's an eternal wrath. There is an ultimate judgment. But there's also an end time judgment. We talk about the plagues and all the, the riders and them horses and all that stuff you read about in the book of Revelation. There is um, cataclysmic wrath 
Again, like the flood and like Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what, you, what you do is this. I'm going to step back from my teaching for a second. When we study something, a concept like the wrath of God, the judgment of God, or even you can apply this to studying about divine healing or why people are sick, we go to the Word of God and we can list principles that are very biblical. That's good. And so we understand reality according to the Bible. We have to be very careful on how I apply them specifically. Because that I don't know. That we can get in danger. You see. There's been people sick because they're disobeying God. But not everyone that's sick is because they disobeyed God. See what I'm getting at? There, there, are certain, there are certain things that come. It's the judgment of God. No one wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to say that. But the reality is that. But then there's other times, it's just the consequences of living in a fallen, cursed world that just kind of you know, does those things. Amen? So it's good to study. It's good to study. But be careful in making the application if it's not you. You know what I mean? Be careful because then we can get awful judgmental and we can miss it. We can miss the mark. And so you, we don't know, you know, we don't know, but we know enough that the Bible says here are times God's judgment was in the Bible. Here are times this was God. Don't blame this one on the devil. This was God. But be very careful how you do that about someone because you don't know. You know what I mean? Unless God gives you a word or unless they, God is okay. We get that. Now, cataclysmic wrath. And then there's number four, there's um, consequential wrath. Cause and effect. The principle of sowing and reaping. Again, God has determined what's right and what's wrong. God has determined the moral law that rules things in this dispensation. Has He not? And if you, if you want to deny that and disobey that, you sow that seed, no matter how much you don't want to believe it, it's going to give birth. If you, it's going to, you see what I mean? We, 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 we can't just live frivolously and foolishly and then pray for crop failure. People just live crazy. Well, God loves me. Yeah, He loves you. But you did X, Y, Z. And you know what? That doesn't change the fact. Now that's going to bring forth a harvest. And that's part of the, the judgments of God by simply allowing things to take its course. God doesn't intervene. Sometimes God's intervened. And that's just an extreme thing of mercy. But typically, typically, can we be honest? Typically, we can look at a lot of situations and say, it doesn't take Einstein to figure out why that's the problem. Here's the cause. Here's the effect. Here's the moral choice, which is not in line with God's Word. So here's what the results will be. So again, there's eternal, eschatological, cataclysmic, consequential. And then um, what Paul is talking about Romans 1, in a very interesting chapter to read, is the um, wrath of abandonment. The wrath of abandonment. One of the greatest, harshest, judgments God can give anyone is just to draw back. Suppose God just drew back on you when you were in sin, no longer convicted you, and no longer dealt with you. That would have been a greater judgment than putting you in an accident to wake you up. The greatest judgment of God is when He draws back. In fact, when we study this, let's go, the wrath of God is being against men. And we study this the abandonment of God is when God removes restraints and lets people go to their sin. Just lets them out. Like, can you imagine leaving a toddler at home, just abandoning them? You're turning them over to hurt themselves, are you not? You're turning them over to wound themselves. But you watch them. Abandonment. It's terrible. And one of the judgments of God. 
Now you see in here, um, this, this fifth form is what Paul's talking about. God abandoning the wicked to pursue their sin and its consequences. God says, you want that? You can have it. There'll be repercussions for that. There's reasons for certain things. But if you want to keep rejecting me, I'll just pull back. And you'll have to take that and all that comes with it. And all that comes with it. See, when we study this first chapter of Romans, three times it says, and God gave them over. It's talking about how man fell into this place of sin and depravity. And you'll see, if you read it, it's real interesting. And God gave them over. And God gave them over. And God, well, he was abandoned. He said, enough. You don't want my truth? Instead of worshiping the Creator, you're going to worship the creature? Instead of living by my laws, you want to live by yours and you want to mock me and you want to make make fun of me? God says, I'll just step back and I'll just let you live your life. But you'll live your life and you'll reap everything. You'll live your life without my mercy watching over you. You know, God can hold back His mercy and you can see a lot more judgment come to any country. They're not a country on this earth, including ours, that God doesn't have every righteous right to judge dearly. You can't murder zillions of babies in their mother's womb and have that innocent blood screaming out without a holy God wanting to judge something. I'm just telling you. Uh, we, 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 we act as if our righteousness keeps us safe. Friends, it's the mercy of God that keeps us safe. We act as if it's because we are this or we are that. Not at all. God can make our military look like fools. And remember Vietnam? It don't take much at all. God can embarrass us. God can shame us. We need to humble ourselves and remember the mercy of God keeps us. Not our own righteousness and not our own power, not our own wisdom and not our own ability. And we study this. We'll see over. God gave them over to their desires. There'll be nothing but judgment coming down the road because of the terrible laws that previous administrations have brought in, that courts have allowed. We can applaud it as being, the, the, the world thinks it's noble, the world thinks it's enlightenment, but God says, if you choose to disobey my clearly communicated moral standard, there'll be a reaping in that day. I'll step back after a while, and I'll let things take its course. He gave them over to their desires. We justify desires now. Instead of saying that desire is sinful, we say, hey, who are you to tell someone what their desires can be? Who are you to say what someone can have a a yearning for? We read Romans, the first chapter. God gave them over for the first give up to their desires. Wow. Secondly, He gave them over then their their perversions, their acts, their violent acts. And then thirdly, to their depraved thinking. Finally, He just said, you want to think that way? I'll let you think that way. But that way of thinking, apart from God, will lead you down a road that you'll wish you never went down. You'll wish you never went down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped the creature rather than the Creator. They worshipped one another. They worshipped this. And they rejected Him. And so, we see in the Bible... In the Bible, there is such a thing as the anger and the wrath of God. And, and again, and again, that's just a short study. We could study it long. But God's um, 
as wrath. This is an outburst. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a righteous response to man's rebellion against him. Okay, so in our story, we saw, number one, we saw a privileged invitation. Jesus said there was a great banquet and all were invited. Amen? Whosoever will come, it's set. You don't got to pay anything. Just come and receive it. Amen? The Master laid it all out. A privileged invitation of grace and blessing. But then we saw the purpose of the invitation was because God wants His house full. And we saw the heart of God. The heart of God is that none perish. The heart of God... Quite a night. Amen. Acts 17. Paul is in Athens, Athens, Greece. And he has been debating and talking to the philosophers of religion. And Paul got the floor and he began to preach to them. And he's talking to them. And he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, he kind of, he's trying to connect with them by using one of their own poets. Trying to find common ground. You know when you try to witness to someone, you try to find some common ground. You try to find something in common that you can at least connect with. So he's found that, therefore, we are God's offspring. He's kind of quoting one of their own thoughts. We're God's offspring. So we should not think that the divine being, if we're his offspring, that we shouldn't think then that the divine being is a gold, silver, stone image or statue, right? If we're his offspring, what in the world are we doing? You know, no, no, no. Uh, made by man's design and skill. In the past, but he says, now listen, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Before Calvary, God overlooked a lot of ignorance in the nations in the world. But now, but now, we live in the but now, He commands all people everywhere to repent. He overlooked a lot of ignorance. But now as the gospel goes forth, it demands a response. God says, and God commands, God has a demand that people everywhere leave worshiping of idols, leave worshiping of the, the untrue and the, the false in the, in the counterfeit and, and, and come to the true and living God. In the past, He's overlooked things. But now, you see, God, God is calling and God's demanding, God's commanding people, turn. For He has set a day when He will judge the world. He has set a day when He'll judge the world with justice by the man 
He has appointed. He has given proof of all this to all men by raising Him from the dead. Wow. So the Savior is the judge. The judge is the Savior. But there's coming a day. That's why, because that day is coming, God is calling people now to respond. Now, he say yes. Now, you've got to come to Christ. And he's putting that. He's putting that. Um, and there's, um, so again, God calls. Now, the condemnation, and this leads to the second invitation, because it says here that um, the master says, listen, after um, the servant said, listen, there's still room in the house. There's still room in the house. And the master then go out and find some more people and make my house full. And they go back out. And that's the second invitation. Let's talk about that. God calls us to go and to keep inviting them. Even though people reject the invitation, even though people mock the invitation, God says, I want my house full. So you keep going and you keep praying and you keep preaching and you keep inviting them. You tell them the table's ready. You tell them the price has been paid. You tell them to come and dine. God calls you and I now. All right, so we've gone from the condemnation. The master is angry. God gets angry when people reject him and mock him. God gets angry. And the wrath of God is a reality that we don't like to talk about, that we don't like to touch on. It's uncomfortable, but it's very biblical. It's uncomfortable, but it's, I mean, it's Genesis through Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. But we don't like it. He said he was angry, and he said no. But yet, here's the other side. The love of God. Keep going. Keep asking them. Keep inviting them. So our job as those faithful servants of God are to keep telling people and reaching out to people. And this speaks to you and I about the importance of evangelism. The end of the story, we see again, the end of the story doesn't end with with God shutting the door, but with God compelling his servants to go out there and reach them. Go out there and do all that you can to bring them in, to let them know the door is open, the mercy is still flowing, the blood of Jesus is still available. The importance of evangelism. Now, we and I as believers as the servants of God, we are ambassadors with a commission. We are ambassadors with a commission. See, this is our role. We, we, we're, we're calling out. We're reaching out. Lot reject it. We, we just keep going. Others say, um, you, we, you're of the devil. That's all. We just keep loving. We just keep preaching. We go to every nation. We go to every, every place we can and invite people to come to Christ. Tell people about the goodness of God. We use every means possible to get the gospel out. We use every means we can to have people hear the good news of the salvation of the Lord. Amen? That's our job. Because you and I are ambassadors with a commission. We're not just an ambassador that said, hey, I'm going to send you to a nice place, you know, um, you know, Switzerland. You can overlook the beautiful lakes and you can just kind of, you know, there's never going to be a war. So you just enjoy life and go to the... No, 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 no. You are an ambassador with marching orders. Amen? And your marching orders is to take this message of your God and King and herald it like a herald. Hear you, hear you. And herald it and proclaim it and declare it to wherever you go. Now, some might not want to hear it. You keep preaching it. Others might say, forget it. Will you go to someone else and let them know? Look at, if you would, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God. Now, the verse right before that, if you're familiar, the verse right before that, um, we are new creatures in Christ. Amen? If any man be in Christ. 17 verses, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. If you're a Christian and you're a new creation, all right. Okay, go to verse 18. We're new creations now. We've received Jesus. Therefore, all this new creation, all this new birth that you've got, it's all from God. And God has reconciled us to Himself. Now I'm reconciled to God. Amen? Glory to God. But now that I'm reconciled to God again, He says, oh, you're not just here to play games. I've got a, I've got a commission for you. I've got a job for you to do. And all this is from God. God has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Amen? Not of works. No one can boast. It's all through Christ. But now listen. Once you're reconciled, if you're saved, you're reconciled. But if you're reconciled, you have been deputized. You have been off. off Authorized, and you have been given a message and you've been given a mandate and we are reconciled. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Someone said, I'm not a preacher. He's not talking to preachers. Someone said, I, I, I didn't go to theological, uh, you know. No, 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 no. Are you saved? Have you been reconciled? Are you a new creature? If you are, then God gave you a ministry of reconciliation. God wants to use you to bring rebellious, strang, lost people back to peace with Himself. All you do is declare the message. He, he, he paid the price. He laid out the table. Amen? He gave the banquet. But He needs some servants to go out and invite whosoever will to come. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Remember, we're ambassadors with a message. We're ambassadors with a commission. Go into all the world. And as you go, tell them. As you go, speak to them. Look at that next verse. I've got a ministry. Ah, what this ministry, God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against Him. Isn't that wonderful? The whole time they were rejecting God and ignoring God, God didn't just blast the planet. God didn't just know. God said He had mercy on them so the gospel would get to them. God had compassion on them. And He has committed to us. We've got the ministry and we have the message. Of reconcil- What's my message? Be reconciled to God. What's my message? You don't got to die in your sins. Jesus made a way where you can be forgiven. What's my message? You're, you're lost, but the true and living God loves you. And he, he made a way where you could be right with Him and be a son of God. And the message and the ministry and the mission that you and I have, God use us everywhere we go. I used to get tickled. Leo come back from that crazy, what's that, 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 that fly market? Flea market. That's it, the flea market. Amen? That flea market. And he would say, hey, pastor, pray for so-and-so. I was talking to him about the Lord. And it's some guy from this, this country, some guy, he means crazy. Everyone, everyone, crazy people you meet at those places. But anyway, he goes, I was witness. I said we'd pray for their child, but I told him I invited him to church. I mean, wherever you go. Flea market, fly market, amen. You can, you can, you can be in the, the, the YMCA, the WMCA, wherever you are, playing ball, strike up a conversation. You know what? You know the Lord. You know Jesus. It's Christmas time. Oh, man. And there's a great holiday. God, and you know, you don't let them breathe. You just tell them what the holiday means in the real, real talk. God sent His Son to die for you. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, there's so many ways you can just get your foot in the door, Amen. They're singing some song. Oh, I love that. You know why I love that song? It talks about Jesus coming. Oh, man. You know, um, David Jeremiah took that exciting story of those four men that took their friend to Jesus and tore through the roof to get him to Jesus. Remember that story in Mark's Gospel, second chapter? And he kind of used that as an illustration 
of how you and I can bring people to Jesus. And he entitled it, Bring in Your Friends to Jesus. Because he said, here's that paralyzed man, and he's, he's helpless and he's hopeless. And that's a picture of the lost sinners. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They can't help themselves. And we can't help them in a sense of healing them, but we can bring them to the one that can heal them. You see, we can't save them, but we can try to get them to the one that can save them. And it gave three different ways that we can bring our friends to Jesus. And I threw in a fourth. It kind of rhymed, so I figured I'd go with it. Amen. He said, how do you and I, how can we bring people to Christ? How can we fulfill what Jesus is talking about in the story of the, the, the great banquet? How can we go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come? Number one, we bring people to Jesus through intercession, through intercession, by specifically and consistently praying for people. Don't just pray once in a blue moon. Those specific people that God puts on your heart that are in your life, pray for them daily. Lift them up daily. Lord, I work with this person. Lord, I'm praying that you're going to bring them. Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to work with them. Holy Spirit, you're going to draw them. You're going to open up doors of conversation to them. You might have people in your family. Don't just hope someday. You begin to pray daily. Lord, I lift them up again. Lord, this year when we get together, let them open up the conversation. Lord, I pray you do something in their life that will open them up. Lord, speak to them. And so one way that you and I can bring people is by praying for them. I mean specifically and consistently. We're not just hoping, well, maybe if it's God's will, you know, maybe God. No, 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 no. I'm going to be proactive in this because I want them saved. I'm going to do my part because I really want them saved. So I'm beginning to pray for, for my, my children. Or maybe I've got siblings. Maybe I've got friends. One way we bring people to the Savior is intercession. Another way we bring people to the Savior is by conversation. Conversation. Simply testify. Speak up. And talk to people about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Discuss your faith. Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And when you're ready, you'll be amazed how God opens doors. When you ask the Lord to use you, you'll be amazed how He'll open doors. Amen? I'll never forget, you know, I was at a church, you know, that was, that was, you know, a busier church. And, um, you know, sometimes you get tired, you know. And, you know, you seem like you're doing weddings every other day and, you know, throwing a few. It's just, it's just constant. And, and you're doing weddings for people that some come to church, some kind of related. Someone comes to the church. And I remember that Holy Spirit checked me about my not-so-good attitude one time. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm just tired. And, you know, sometimes going through these rehearsals, it's so time-consuming when you've got a real busy week and, just, uh, and they're not even people. Anyway, I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, um, do something in this, this wedding thing. Please, Lord. I, I, forgive me, Lord. And I said, Lord, just... Um, let, let this let this wedding rehearsal be blessed. Give me grace. And we had the you know it's just they go to church and I'm just there. It's just me. They don't really know anyone from the church. It's just me. And then came the the, the bridesmaids came and uh, <laughs> I said I never some more tattoos in my life. I got a little scared. <laughs> Which one of the ushers were here? This is a scary group. And. Um, and <laughs> True story. Here's our Lord. And um, but we went through it, you know. We just and, and 
And as the thing, I had to wait with the brother. I had to wait with the brother, this big old guy. I had to wait with the brother. And clearly out of the blue, he says, Preacher, I'd like to know more about God. Now, he's asking me. I didn't have to drop a hint. I didn't have to. He just, and I'll tell you what, till the day I left that church some years later, he got saved. He faithfully came. He got to know God. I said, Lord, forgive me. Here's an opportunity to bring someone to the Savior. And I just want to get through with it. And I didn't even, I wasn't, I wasn't even open. God had to convict me of a bad attitude just so I would have been opened. But as soon as I was opened, I was amazed how God worked. As soon as I was open. And so in other words, we bring people simply by conversation. We answer their questions if they have them. We tell, share our experiences. The doors open wide. Again, we, we strike up that conversation. We testify on the job, in the gym, in the neighborhood. So one way I bring people, intercession, conversation. How about invitation? Invitation. I can invite them to church. Especially, you know, when there's these special events going on, whether the choir is singing or, or whether there's an evangelist speaking, you can invite them. Hey, you know what? Hey, my, my choir is singing. And, hey, we got a special speaker. Maybe you'd like it. You know, you talked about maybe it's going to church. Hey, you know what? you got little kids. we got this great program, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, imitate, invite them. Say, listen, I'll, I'll meet you out in the foyer. I'll wait for you. Yeah, we'll go out to lunch afterward. You know, you, you can invite them. I mean, invite them. I mean, you can prep them if they're not used to church. Kind of, you know, prep them a little bit. So, you know, if someone gets excited, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't run out the door. But you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Invitation. Invite them to church. Take advantage of all the things. Prepare them to come in. Amen? Invite them. That's where I miss, I miss the days of tracks. I miss tracks. Tracks were so easy. Because you could keep it short and sweet and give a nice tip and just say, hey, if you ever need prayer or you need anything here, just, just tell him, look, Jesus loves you. Jesus, just the love of God. You put that number of the church on there, that stamp, right? You ever, yeah, amen, that's simple. That's simple. How we bring people? We bring people intercession, conversation, invitation. Hey, how about visitation? We can take it to them, can't we? We can go and visit them. We can go to the nursing home and unwalk the halls and see some lonely people and sit and have conversation with them. They're pretty much open to prayer when people are lonely. We can pray with them. We can talk with them. There's places like prisons. And we talk about a captive audience, but really, I mean, hey, there's prisons out there that I know before COVID, they're looking for people to have Bible studies. And there's people in a rough spot in life. And some of them are open to listen. Some of them are open because they know their life's a mess. And they're actually open to give the gospel a hearing. And you can go in. And you can go in once a week and, and teach these young believers and evangelistically just tell people about Christ. So another way, we, we can go visit people, right? You, you can go across the street to that, to that neighbor that's struggling, that, 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 that widow. Hey, I'll rake your leaves for you. You, you can do those things. Remember um, when, when, brother, when brother from Chicago was here? Bishop Jones. Remember Bishop Jones? And he said, 
what was it, an older, was it an older guy across the street, and they had a hard time connecting. Man, I think there might have been different races, right? And they had a hard time connecting, and he's trying to reach the guy, and, um, and he, would, he would shovel his snow, and the guy would get embarrassed. And then finally he said, I started making him meals once or twice a week. And I'd bring that old gentleman out. And he goes, man, I don't know how I can repay you. But he says, you know what, after about a few months, I was able to lead him in a sinner's prayer. I'm just saying we can do things. You know, you can go visit them. You can go knock on their door. You can go express some love and kindness. Do a good deed. Amen? And then that opens the door for invitation and prayer. Let's bring our friends to Jesus. Let's take it to them. Nursing homes, prisons, all the various shut-ins, young people. Amen? Amen. Jesus told this story about a great par- a ba- banquet where God has prepared a great salvation. It's rich, it's free, it's wonderful, it's lavish. And He calls all men to come. And He uses you and I as His ambassadors to declare it, to speak it, to invite them to come. And we're thankful that we've received the reconciliation, that we've come to the banquet, amen? We fed at the banquet, but now God says, you fed, now I give you an assignment now that you're fed, now you go. And you invite others. And you tell others. And there's many ways to do that. You say, I'm not a great speaker. You can invite someone. I- I'm not a great... Well, you can give them a track. Someone says, well, you know what? I don't... Hey, anyone can go visit someone and sit with them. Ten minutes and show them the love of Christ. Anyone can say, Lord... I know I'm usually so busy in my day that I just want to get in and get out, but Lord, open up conversation that I could tell someone about the love of God. Lord, just give me that conversation. So again, intercession, conversation, invitation, visitation, bringing our friends to Jesus. We pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great salvation you've given us. And Lord, we recognize today that you have now given us the assignment, the mission to take this message, this good news to our world, to our world. And however you open doors, however the opportunities you give us, Lord, help us to be faithful. We're going to pray them in. We're going to invite them in. We're going to... Speak and talk and tell them about your goodness. And as you open doors for us, we promise we will be faithful to tell others the good news. We will be faithful and unashamed to share with others the great salvation and all that Jesus did. Father, use us. Open doors of opportunity for us. Bring about divine conversations in our lives. And Lord, give us insight. Show us, Lord, how can we be more useful? Show us, Lord, maybe there's somewhere we can go. Maybe there's someone specific we can really begin to pray for. Maybe there's someone that we cross paths with a lot. And Lord, maybe you just want us to talk to them. Strike up a conversation with them. Help us to do that. Well, Father, I think about those four lepers from the second kings where after they had enjoyed this wonderful feast, though everyone around them was famishing and in the famine, 
they said, you know what? This is too good to keep to ourselves. We've got to go back to where they're hurting and where they're starving. And we've got to tell them there's food and then some. And Lord, we are that people that have fed at the wonderful banquet of salvation. We are the people that have enjoyed this great salvation, this mercy, this love, this forgiveness. Oh, we have enjoyed it now, Lord. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. Now use us to let others know Jesus loves them. and Jesus died for them. And there is a way to heaven for them. Father God, we love you and praise you. Use us in this present hour. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a good night.